With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We have a new concept for you today. Because every time I talk to Ari Wasserman, we end up ranking the jobs in some college football conference in some way or another. The conversation always heads that way anyway. So I figured let's just do a a whole episode where Ari ranks jobs. And we can thank reader Tom. Tom's one of the readers of The Athletic. Uh, He sent me a question to my mailbag last week that will kind of get us kicked off. And we'll be ranking some football jobs. But I thought Ari is really good at ranking jobs. It seems to be something that his mind just sort of goes to. And so I want to rank some other kinds of jobs. I want Ari to rank different professions because, listen, we need to know, I know we have some some college students and high school students who listen to this podcast. You know, they, they may want to decide what direction they want to take their life in and, you know, what they want to study based on what Ari thinks. Plus, it's just a wonderful window into Ari's twisted mind, which is what what we're really doing this for. So Ari, you know, I, I, this is an, I, I'm doing this in honor of, of Jacob Luft, who's a guy I used to work with at Sports Illustrated, and I also worked with him at the college newspaper at Florida. And I have no idea what the context of this statement was, and I've never even asked him, but he just walked into the office one day when we were in college. He walked into the sports office, and he said, even the greatest job in the world, male porn star, must feel like work some days. And I was like, I never really thought about it that way, but you... <laughs> Okay, now now I am, and that's not great. So we've got some jobs that I'm going to have Ari rank, and let me put it this way. I haven't given him all the details of what you must do, and of course, I'm talking about the Syracuse football job, <laughs> but no, no. Ari, we we got to get to this. Before, before we start ranking, I'm going to read you the question that, that Tom sent, and, and we can work from there. Assume all the ACC head coaches decide to retire all at once. I'm, I'm hoping they all go sell Amway or something with Dabo you know, leading the charge. Uh, rank the job openings based on a five-year projection. So that's what we're doing, Ari. We, we're going to rank the ACC's jobs. We've done. We've kind of done this with the SEC. I think we did when, when Tennessee was open. And now we need to do it with the ACC. So uh, I hope you're ready for this, Ari. I hope you're ready for the, the football jobs and the non-football jobs. Yeah, and I'm wondering if some of the football jobs would actually rank worse than some of the worst regular jobs, which I think will be an interesting test. And I appreciate the compliment that you think I'm good at this because it's me just uh, vamping all the time. And sometimes I feel like I'm just talking loudly and it's not always good. So if you respect them, then I appreciate it. So I've got all the resources here uh, when it comes to um, how we're going to look at these teams, both from a location, talent, all the stuff that goes into it. And I think we're going to have some fun. So um, I don't know. I hope you weigh in with me because putting me on the spot is just going to be all the hate mail towards me. But you'll have to keep me in check. I'm, if I'm, sli- like, I'm slightly wrong. upset that you've attempted to. Pre- yeah, I- I'm slightly at- upset that you've attempted to prepare for this. I, I-, I think that may make it worse. But I- I- I'm-, I'm glad that 
I haven't given you enough information on the other jobs. So, but you do you do have quite a bit of information on the on the football jobs, readily available to everyone. And and I will answer the listener's question that I'm sure the listener is asking right now. No, we're not including Notre Dame in this in this ranking. It's the, they're independent again. They want to stay independent, so we're going to leave them out. So we'll go with the 14 ACC proper schools, and and we'll start. So let's let's start at the top, Ari. What is the best job in the ACC? Oh, we're going from top to worst because I'll tell oh. you, I think that the top four or five are really easy, and then from six to fourteen, it's like terrifying. Well, and that so we and can, that's we why go- and that's why we're doing it this way because everybody okay, knows okay. what well, number, number one is. Okay, number one's Clemson. And, you know, I think the idea of taking over a team that is one of the most talented teams in college football, that's kind of a running uh, machine at this point with a crazy recruiting class coming in. I think there's a lot of coaches in college football that could get that team to the championship based on where it is right now. So here's my question to you, Ari, because we know that Clemson wasn't this way before Dabo Sweeney became the head coach, and it actually took him a little while to get it there. Do you think somebody else could keep this rolling like that? Or has Dabo gotten it to the point? Has he has he created a good enough blueprint that it will attract a good enough candidate pool that whoever they hire is going to keep it rolling? Yeah. So this is an interesting time to talk about this because I'm working on a story behind the scenes. Um, and just a little bit of background information. 60% of the top 100 went to the top six schools in America. And you can put in the gaps of who those six schools are. Clemson wasn't that seven years ago. So the question I'm trying to, you know, figure out, and I'm talking to recruiting coordinators about this, is how can what Clemson did be duplicated? And I think the answer might just be Dabo Sweeney is a wizard. Um, But once it's built, I think it's easier to maintain something that's built than it is to build. And that's part of the reason why a lot of the coaches who are the greatest in the sport are known program builders. And then the greatest of the great are the ones that take what they've built and then maintain it. So to me, I think phase two is infinitely easier than phase one. And phase two is main, is maintenance. And Clemson is in maintenance phase. So, you know, how Dabo did that or how another program could match what Dabo did at another place, I think is one of the great mysteries and one of the great discussions of college football. And I'm trying to get expert analysis of what they think. But it's been done. So at this point, why wouldn't you take the, the team that has a water slide um, or a slide and the crazy facilities and the incredible talent? It's just in a, a regular slide, but it is there's a wiffle <laughs> yeah, ball field. Whatever. There's a slide. Everything is already in place. And I think if you're a coach, uh, you might want to do that. And, you know, some coaches enjoy the build. But the problem with the build, Andy, is that most coaches who are capable of building leave the job they're building for a better job once they're qualified to it. So like the idea that Dabo stuck with Clemson and it's, it's been noted that he, what does it take him seven, eight years to get to a certain point. And a lot of times coaches aren't afforded that opportunity. Um, but he is kind of a unicorn in this entire discussion. It's like, what, what if we get down to number eight and it's just like, how can you make Pitt a perennial, a perlet? I didn't give away my thing. I just made that up, but a perennial powerhouse. Like, it's just like, right. that's crazy. <laughs> and Clemson probably is a little bit better off, even at their lowest from a football jo- tradition. Johnny standpoint. Majors says you, you need to sign a hundred players in the, in, in your first year. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe even that's not enough. So I think Clemson right now is a sports car um, that is built and ready to drive. And a lot of the other jobs we're going to get to are cars that are on blocks right now. All right. So number two, cause I, this fascinates me. Once you get past Clemson, what yeah. is the next best? Because 
there's a couple ways you can go with it. You can go with what, what's somebody doing well with right now or what has the raw materials to be really good but is maybe underachieving right now. Yeah, and I, I'm very curious if you're gonna if you're gonna rank them with me, but number two to me is Miami. Um, based on talent pool, based on history, based on just a, elite level talent that's on the current roster. Um, believe it or not, last year they were less talented than Florida State, but they also had less players on their roster because of some turnover. Um, but if I were the blueprint for what Miami can do to win at the highest level is clear and obvious. And, you know, a lot of the feedback that I got in terms of building jobs uh, or building how you can build something that turns into a national championship contender is based solely off of geography. And there's no team in the in, in the entire conference that's got better geography than Miami. Right. I mean, I think it's just I, like here's where I'll that. disagree with you. And and it, this is this is this is the one place where the geography is kind of weird because I'm going to say Florida State is the second best job because their geography is still fantastic. There's a lot of really good players who live within a, within a three hour drive of Tallahassee. The the issue and then, of course, you can you can go into Orlando to Tampa to Miami and get some players too, or you go up to Atlanta and get players. But Miami's issue is you are surrounded by all that talent, but the politics of dealing with that talent make things somewhat difficult. Right. Very similar to Texas in that way, where if you're the, the coach at Miami, if you offer a South Florida player, if you offer a player in Dade, Broward, or Palm Beach counties, it is a committable offer only. There are no non-committable offers for you. And... All of the schools that are coming down and cherry picking can just blanket the area in offers. And so everybody's offering these kids before Miami because Miami has to be very careful because once they offer, if the kid accepts, that kid is going to Miami. And there's no there's no backing out on Miami's part. So that's the issue they have. So they can only throw offers at these super obvious ones early. The, the guys who are definitely going to be high four stars, five stars, and then they have to be a little bit careful. But the problem is when you take those other guys that you've had to evaluate a little longer because you want to make sure that if they commit to you, you're, you're willing to take them, a bunch of other people have already offered them, and they're like, well, you didn't show me love early, so forget you. Yeah, I, part of the, the discussion too is, and I know, trust me, there's probably no more competitive city in the country to com- to recruit than Miami because Alabama's really deep in Florida. All the big well, time it, the the Alabama pro- the Alabama one's a great example. Let me let me let me give you the Alabama what what Alabama can now do when they want a receiver out of South Florida because they only they'll only need to target like one in the class, but it'll be the best one, and they'll go, hey, you know who the last three receivers we got out of South Florida are? Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, and Jerry Judy. What happened with those guys? Oh, they were all first round draft picks. Come to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, and it Miami's got no shot at that guy. I mean, it happened. They got Jacory yeah. Brooks um, out of uh, well, Bradenton, Florida. I guess is a little bit higher, but they've been killing it, in Miami, um, and they've done better in Florida than any of the other two te- any of the th- big three right now. If you just take like individual Florida classes, now Miami is second. And part of the reason why is if we're doing it from tra- a trajectory standpoint, you're talking about a Miami team that had the. Um, number 12 overall class in the country and had a lot of top end talent out of their own state. And like Florida state's in the mid twenties somewhere. They had a really, really bad cycle. And I, I'm always like bird in the hand type of a guy. And all those things considered, I mean, Florida state also has maybe not quite as, as 
bound to an offer as Miami is in their own city. But also, if you take a, I mean, Miami's class is much, much better. Their trajectory seems to be on the way up right now, whereas Florida State's is on the way down. And maybe Mike Norvell will turn that around because their 2022 class is off to a better start. Um, but like Tallahassee is more difficult, I mean, difficultly located, even though they have access to, the, yeah. I mean, Miami it, has it's hard, it's six hard or to get seven five star yeah. prospects five minutes away from their campus. So, like that to me, uh, I would always want to be closer to the players when possible in Miami has every bit uh, of a tradition and probably even a more unique tradition than Florida State does. And I guess it's just an easy segue to number three on my list, which is Florida State. So, I mean, it wasn't an easy yeah, thing and, and to to decipher, but, you know, I would just want to be closer to the kids. The The problem, well, Florida State is close, and that's what people are, are not getting because you have all of North Florida, you have the Gulf Coast of Alabama, Mississippi, into Louisiana, you have all of South Georgia. You have part of Alabama. Now, the problem is Alabama is Alabama, and they're probably going to get the guys they want out of the state of Alabama, and if those guys don't go to Alabama, they're going to go to Auburn. And then Georgia's recruiting well, really well, which makes South Georgia more difficult for Florida State and Florida, which like to recruit into South Georgia. And you know that that's, that's the issue right now, especially with Georgia recruiting as well as it is. I think that's taken a lot away from Florida State. You know, you look at the Jimbo Fisher teams, the ones that did really well, you know, I Telvin Smith's probably a Georgia Bulldog in this environment. You know, he probably doesn't go to Florida State. So that that's the part that you, you got to deal with. And, you know, you can go throughout Florida State's history and uh, Charlie Ward, he's from Thomasville. Now, Thomasville is basically suburban Tallahassee, but it's in Georgia. And so obviously Georgia has its, its hooks there. And where's Kirby Smart from? He's from Bainbridge which is right by Tallahassee. So, I mean, that that's the thing. You, you've got, you've got a, a little more difficult situation than normal at Florida State, but I still think they have so much within three, four hours drive that they can stockpile talent if the right guy's doing doing the job. Now, we'll find out if, if Mike Norvell is that guy. But, um, you know... I mean, they're losing kids out of Tallahassee with, with right now, Andy. Oh, I know. I know <laughs> it's, it's it's not a great situation right now. And and look, the way you're answering these is probably closer to what our guy wants because he said a five year projection. So that's that's really, you know, dealing with the current situation. We'll be right back after these words. What is your number four? OK, so this is where it started to get a little bit more difficult. And, you know, we always joke about on this podcast how I might have gotten macked. But I think North Carolina would be my number four. And I don't know if that's a little bit high, but anybody who's ever been to Chapel Hill knows that place is beautiful. North Carolina is a very underrated uh, city when it comes or I mean, a state when it comes to in-state talent. Chapel Hill is a place that people in the state are naturally drawn to with the right coach. They can recruit that state very well. Um, and they have resources that are are better than a lot of the other places, both from a financial standpoint, the Jordan branding thing, the shoes, all the things that they have at their disposal. Also, the quality of life in North Carolina is great because you don't have to win the ACC every year to be to, to feel good about yourself. So the money's there. The location is fine. It's not the best location, but they have done a very good job of utilizing their location to the best of their ability. Um, their uniforms are cool. They've got a nice stadium. They got the Jordan thing. I, I, they're the fourth most talented team in the ACC last year, and they just signed maybe the best recruiting class in the modern era, um, or at least one of the few. Right now, I think North Carolina might be set up to 
compete with Florida State, Miami, and Clemson more so than anybody else in the conference. So I, I agree with you. Now, I will say if they, if they were to ditch divisions, that NC State is a better job than North Carolina. But having to be in Clemson's division right now makes it worse. But I, I think NC State is a really good job. I'm, I'm not sure Dave Doran has done a good enough job at NC State. I, I know, you know he's had some good years, but like the best team he had, that team lost to Wake Forest. There, there's no excuse for that. Like Wake Forest is at such a disadvantage. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll, when we get down that far on the list, we'll get to how good of a job Dave Clawson has done. But I just think NC State, like Florida State and like Clemson, acts the most like an SEC environment program, you name it. And I don't know that they've gotten the most out of that. I, I think they should be the best program in the state of North Carolina year in and year out. And they're not. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very curious about where I, you know, you're making me think twice about NC State. But the other thing, too, is that when I went to North Carolina, and maybe it was just because I was working on a UNC story when I was there, but it always felt to me with all the kids that I talked to in the high schools that I went into that NC State was at least on their minds playing second fiddle to North Carolina. And maybe that's just a testament to what Mac Brown has done in his few years there. But I, I wouldn't want to Mac go to Brown, a- Dave Doran thing. I don't think that I don't think that's I don't think that's the programs. I think that's Mac Brown and Dave Doran. If you talk to those two people back to back as a recruit, you're going to probably favor Mac. I mean, North Carolina is just a sexier place. It's got a sexier tradition to it. I don't know how to if that's the right word, but like I It's think, not a sexier football tradition. NC State's got a better football tradition. Yeah. NC State's got a better football. Like when NC State's good and we're allowed to go to games, that place is rocking. Do we do we not remember my guy on the flagpole with his shirt? You know, no, no, I know, I know Pablo's I know. Yeah. commands. So yeah. so I mean, <laughs> that's the thing that that place when it's going, they can be really, really good. And and I know there's a bunch of Virginia Tech fans just screaming at their, their radios and their headphones right now because we haven't mentioned them yet. But I think NC State, if it's if it's topped out, if it's at its peak, is a better job than Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, NC State's a pretty underrated place, but I also feel like if you got the right person in charge – or, or maybe not even just the right person, it's the right strategy, and you approach recruiting North Carolina the way that North Carolina has, and you might see some better dividends um, just in that way. I mean, North, NC State was the fifth most talented team in, in the in the conference. They're not my fifth pick, um, but I think it's, it's kind of funny, too, because the ACC is so geographically connected. It's, like, really hard. You got four teams from North Carolina in one conference, and it's just, like, tough, um, and you know, well, I think yeah, that and, G- and they're all within they're all within an hour's drive of each other. Right. So, it, it, you know, maybe even North Carolina could get knocked for that. And maybe Virginia Tech should have been four, but they're number five on my list to move it forward. Um, I just don't know okay, so what's who, going. Virginia Tech is number five on your list. They're number five. Yeah. And I like the thing I don't I don't really know what's going on. And, and maybe this is a, a story for somebody. But the the idea of they're recruiting very poorly right now. And even though they have the answer Sandman and they've uh, achieved some pretty high success, probably more as, as much success as the the top or the two out of the four, you know, on this list. It just doesn't seem to be clicking well, they, there right now. They they carried the conference in, in their first few years in the ACC. Virginia Tech carried the conference. And I wonder, is is Virginia Tech a result of Frank Beamer being a great coach? 
Like what Virginia Tech is and what we believe to be Virginia Tech. Uh, could anybody else do that there? And that that's the question because, you know, right now, what they've got to deal with in recruiting, you've got Michael Oxley at Maryland, who is good at getting guys out of the DMV. Uh, when Penn State is recruiting well, they tend to recruit very well into Virginia and, and all along the eastern seaboard. Clemson has gone into the, you know, Brian Brisset, he's a he's a DMV guy. So, you know, Alabama has gone and gotten some guys out of the DMV. It's just, it, it seems like the best of those guys, they're going other places. Now, Frank Beamer's classes were never fantastic. They're better than what the most recent Justin Fuente classes have been, but they were never great. They just were really good at developing the guys they got. Yeah, and the thing that's funny, I've got a few memories. Um, first of all, Virginia Tech's recruiting class from the 2020 cycle, uh, I believe, made, I, I wrote a story, and it made like one of the top five worst uh, classes of the cycle. And, you know, it's just not what it has been. And I don't know if it's just they are not have the right strategy. They're not in the DMV heavy enough. You know, I don't know what what the reason for that really is. And, you know, I just like wonder, too, like, are the days of the Frank Beamer type um, classes just dead? I mean, I, I can you and it's not that they're not being assembled, but is it enough to like you'll never be able to claim the ACC title or carry the ACC ever again with the way that the ACC is structured right now, the way that Frank Beamer did. I just think the game is changing and like Virginia Tech right now. It probably should be lower on my list, to be honest, because right now they just don't have the talent. They the seventy sixth number class in the country in twenty twenty. Well, all right, seventy six. Well, all right, let me throw this at you. Where where's an easier place to recruit to? I mean, Louisville that's, or Virginia Tech. I would think Louisville. I mean, Georgia uh, Virginia Tech, Tech or Virginia. I'm Tech. sorry, sorry, Virginia Tech, not Louisville. I would take. That's why Virginia Tech's five on my list. Okay. They're five on my list after signing the 76th best class in the country last year, and I think they're in the 40s now. It's it just like that's not it. Um, so from a health standpoint, there's that's the reason why North Carolina got the nod. But like the bones of Virginia Tech, I think they should be much better than they are right now, and I think their fans would agree with me. But go ahead, go ahead. All right. Do the, so do the game. What, what do you have? What do you have next? Okay. No, so no, okay. All right. Well, we, you said you think it'd be easier easier to go to recruit to Virginia Tech than Louisville. How about Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech? That is the hardest thing that I had to deal with on my list, and I think we should table that because we're going to get the Georgia Tech, and it's going to be a discussion. Okay. So, Sounds like, good. like let's let's do that. They're in Atlanta. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> But there, there, uh, well, there, are, there are reasons that, that we can, that it's not that easy. So let's, right. let's go to your number six. What's My number, number six, six is NC State. Um, and number six, right. because they're the fifth most talented team in the conference last year. Um, they have a talented state and they can go toe to toe with North Carolina for all the reasons you just, and, and I loved um, the, what yep. I've seen from what their atmosphere has been. Now, this is when it started getting super hard. All right. So just, just bear with me. Number seven. So I, I don't. I don't think the next one's hard. Shouldn't be hard for the next one. There's one more that kind of falls into this tier, and then it gets real dicey. I don't know that I. Th I agree with you. Whoever you're implying, my number seven is Pitt. Louisville, baby. We'll get to that. Um, Pitt okay. is in. All right. Oh, so, yeah, so why I mean, is Pitt your number seven? Pitt is my number seven because Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania is a very um, fertile place for talent. 
And I think that they get nagged a little bit because their facilities aren't attached to their university. And I hate that, you know, as part they get to practice with the Steelers facility and people think that's a benefit. It's, I don't it's think not it's that a, it's not that far away and they get to practice with the Steelers. What's, it's that's not three a miles away from campus. And have you yeah. ever driven in Pittsburgh? It would probably take you 20 minutes to get from it's class to the facility. It's awful. It's, I think true. Pittsburgh, if you want to do another rankings, is a top three worst traffic city in America outside of L.A. and, and in Georgia. <laughs> Pittsburgh is right up there with yeah, Atlanta. Houston. Yeah, Houston. But, I mean, yeah. Pittsburgh, I've I've been there many times, and it is terrible, especially in the winter. Um, but they are also existing in a very unique state. They've got a lot of talent in the Pittsburgh area. Penn State has been awful, at least in the last cycle, at keeping kids home in Pennsylvania. And granted, Ohio State and the big-time programs will be in Pittsburgh when there's players there to be taken. But Pitt um, is nestled in an area and in a talented state when the big-time team in that state isn't keeping kids home. So I think with the right team and the right – like I, I don't know that I agree with your idea that Pittsburgh is a slam dunk over – or, I mean, or Louisville is a slam dunk, easy answer over Pitt. And, like, my number eight is Louisville, so why don't you make the case for them being switched? I just think Louisville is a, is a nice central location. There's players you can get from everywhere. Uh, you can get guys who want to play in the South. You can get guys who they're, – they're, they seem very good at getting guys from elsewhere to come to, to play for them. Well, because they don't uh, have a choice. And, and you can say – yeah, we're we're playing Clemson and Florida State every year, and and guys seem to want to do that. They want to prove themselves. You know, you look at the guys. Charlie Strong went and got out of Florida for Louisville, and it's a very competitive bunch. And Petrino, before they stopped trying to recruit, was recruiting pretty well too. So I think you're going to see Satterfield. Well, if he doesn't talk his way out of it, is going to be able to to get players there too. I, I just think it's it's an easier situation. You get them there. It's the, the facilities are nice. They're brand new, and they they are very serious about their sports. Plus, nice town, you know, right next to the airport. You know, if that if that matters to you, if getting home matters, and you're from far away, they they are right by the airport. So, I just I think Louisville's a a pretty easy place to recruit to, given that you've got to deal with with Clemson every year in your in your division. I mean, listen, some of the best days of my life have happened in the parking lot of the football stadium in May. Uh, it's a Kentucky Derby. Um, so like, I, I, I've been to Louisville many times, most of which wasn't sober, but it was still fun. I, yeah, you, I, you've got to be you've got to be a good evaluator. You, you do have to be a good evaluator, but you could get many of the same types of players that Mark Stoops is getting at Kentucky. But Mark Stoops Louisville. is doing it better. Like if, if if Kentucky had a non-Mark yes. Stoops head coach who was just doing the old Kentucky thing and just uh, accepting mediocrity, then I think Louisville would be higher. But they are the second best program in their state right now. And not only is Kentucky landing players in Kentucky all of a sudden, they're also going in and beating Ohio. And like Louisville's not in Ohio at all, uh, or at least for the, the top tier prospects. So like to me – yeah, if and, I and were they to head should coach be, at Lu- given their location, if I, were to, like, if I were to take over at Louisville tomorrow, my strategy would be Kentucky strategy. But somebody's already really good at it with with Vince Merrow there, who ha- and and Stoops who have Ohio connections and grew up there. So like to me, it just that takes the luster away from it. And like number eight is fine. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I guess if you wanted to make the argument that they should be ranked ahead of Pitt, that's fine. But I don't know that there was some sort of like cutoff there, whereas like Louisville has to be included. I, I don't see that. I just I just feel like it's an easier it, it's it's an easier place to win. 
It just, I don't know why I feel like it's an easier place to win than Pitt. Pitt, it always seems like there's something in the way. There's something, something that makes it more difficult. Maybe I'm just still mad at them for making me eat mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, they've had some talent on that roster at Pitt. Um, that just, oh, what they've happens had on tons the field, of talent on that roster. What happens on the field doesn't necessarily match up with what they have there. But, um, okay, so number 10 now? All right. Or, or we're on nine, sorry. Number nine. Um, nine, and this one's going to, I think you're going to like lose your mind on this, but I think BC is nine. I, I don't have as much of a problem with that because if you look at the history of BC, it has outpunched its weight. And you can go way back. Like you can go way back to Tom O'Brien, uh, even before that. But just that that run of coaches they've had, everybody seems to have had some success. And the Adazio thing, it was just not enough success. But they they were competitive. There were years where they were competitive with everybody. So I don't have a problem with that just because it's been demonstrated to work. Geographically, it shouldn't be that easy. It, it, it should be a very hard job. But either they're really good at selecting coaches or there's a way to do it there. And you just look time and again, they outpunch their weight. There are of like if you had to create just a fake percentage in your brain, Andy, of top high school football programs in America, what percentage of you of, of those schools of the best high school football programs would you say are private Catholic schools? Just off the cuff. Oh, 35 to 40 percent. Boston College is one of two schools that can offer that environment at the collegiate level. And one is Notre Dame, and the other one is Boston College. And I wrote a story a long time ago, but I referred to every Catholic school in America as a Notre Dame embassy in enemy territory. And the reason why Notre Dame has <laughs> been exactly able to right. go to playoff uh, multiple times and is on the edge of maybe punching up into the elite category is because they are able to use that as a selling point. And not everybody who goes to Notre Dame right. goes to a Catholic school. But it is a unique selling point for kids who value that. And Boston College is one of two well, that and, really and has paying in a major conference that. that can do that. Right. So, like, yeah, if, Boston if in general and Massachusetts. And it's been a pri yeah. 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 If you're a parent it's just not a good it's been place. a priority for your child to be in Catholic school, you're going to be like, hey, you can be in a Catholic school and play big-time football? Yes. And, oh, by Great. the way, Boston College is a very good school. <laughs> very good Yeah, it's a very, there. very good academic school. It's in one of the cooler cities in America. And, you know, it, it's – frankly, it's geography sucks because Massachusetts is not a good state traditionally with high school talent. But, you know, he did get a top 140 player out of Massachusetts this year. Uh, Jeff Halfley. I think that he's an interesting personality. And based on the the class that they just signed, number 36 overall and number eight in the ACC, which I think is good for them, they could punch higher. And it's like, Fantastic. I remember, I'm, I'm old yeah. enough I'm old enough to remember when Boston College Notre Dame was a game we were all looking forward to watch this past year. It didn't go Boston College's way, but that was a big game during the week. Like, BC is starting to play in big games. Well, well, and I think like the first half, of, yeah, first half of Clemson BC was great. I think number nine is a really fair place. And I know that people are going to be like, what the hell? They're, they're, it, but I think that you could sell BC as a job that, A, where, where expectations from the administration aren't nearly as intense as they are at some of these other places. And B, they've got a unique selling point that only they and Notre Dame have. And I think that could be used at a higher level uh, moving forward. So I think that's rational. 
Well, and I also think because it's been demonstrated time and time again that you can be reasonably successful there. Are you going to win the league? Probably not. But can you be above 500 in league play? Can you go to a good bowl game? Absolutely. So I, I, I do think that's that's a fair assessment, which makes me very curious what's number 10. I think I know what's number 10 for you, but what would what, guess. one landed at? Why don't you guess? Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's my number 10. <laughs> uh, I just, Atlanta, that's all I have to say, Atlanta. I don't know uh, what has to be done yeah. in order to compete with Georgia with even 5% of these guys. But if you're located in one of the best cities for talent in America, you know, geography is on your side. And, you know, the funny thing that you just said on the last thing we were talking about was you're not going to win the league. And it's just like once you get into the 10, 11, 12 range, you're not going to win the league is true for all of them. But if you want it to be semi-competitive or good, um, Georgia Tech is a place where that can be done if you just recruit the city better. Now, you can go into the to the challenges that they face, but I would much rather try to very similar, very similar to Notre Dame in, in terms of challenges. It's not. It, it, but not up front. It's not the the can you get them in. It's the the can you keep them there situation because it it's difficult at Georgia Tech. It's a state university, but it is very difficult. They don't really have a basket weaving major, which is odd because most state universities do. And I'm not saying that to disparage state schools. I went to a state school that has lots of basket weaving majors. It's just how state universities are usually set up, not just for athletes, but for everybody. Uh, Georgia Tech, listen, they're making engineers there. And the only kind of non-math, non-math slanted majors management, you still got to take math. So it, it's a harder place to matriculate than most of these other places we're talking about. Even, even some of the ones that are elite colleges, the, the liberal arts education might be a little bit easier than some of this stuff. So that's what Georgia Tech is facing. And that's it's not a matter of can, you know, is there talent nearby? If Georgia Tech got the best talent within 50 miles, it would win the ACC every year. That that's not the problem. And that they're not going to be able to beat Georgia for all that talent. They're not they're, they have to deal with incursions from Alabama, from Auburn. And and some guys just aren't going to want to be in that that kind of scholastic environment when they can go to a more traditional state school that has a broader array of majors. I went to a state school uh, and got a journalism degree and never took a single math class in college. Yeah. Not a single one. I took one science class. I took no math classes. So, and, and the thing is, like at Florida, there you can see, if you look at the media guide, there are some majors that, look, they're not that hard. And it's not like that's all the athletes take. There's a lot of regular students taking those too. It's just, how big state schools are typically set up. Georgia Tech's a little bit different on that front, and it's to its advantage if you are a, uh, a non-athlete, you know, degree-seeking student who went to Georgia Tech because of its academic reputation. It's great for you, but if you're Jeff Collins, it makes it a little bit tougher. Yeah, and now we're down to the bottom four, and I mean, last place is so easy, but the, the next three, I guess, are, are kind of tough, but I, I just thought... Um, Duke would be number 11. Um, they are a, an interesting place that, you know, offers one of, uh, the best ed educations maybe in the state. You know, I know North Carolina and is known as, is a academic well, One of the best well, educations in the country. <laughs> the reason why, once I got to the bottom four, I didn't really know how to put them in order. The reason why I, uh, 
put Duke at the top of the bottom four is because there is a really awesome thing about being, if you have the right personality, being the, the coach of the second biggest sport when the other sport is king. And I remember I used to cover Ohio State basketball and Thad used to always say, Thad Mata used to say, there's nothing better than coaching a big time program when the only thing that matters is football. And I think it's the the reverse at Duke, but also kind of a nice job. I wouldn't, there's no pressure cooker there. Everybody's worried about Coach K. Yeah. Cutcliffe has certainly found his bliss there and, Look, it, it, it's a place where you can go get a great education. The the thing about the bottom four on this list is they are all incredible universities. Like, if you have a degree from any of these four places, you're in good shape in life. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know if there's going to be much pushback. Do you want me just to, to, to rail them all off at once? Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Yep. Okay, so the next one is Virginia at 12. Wake Forest is 13 because it's the fourth best program in its own state. And Syracuse is just dead last because I don't even know where you begin. Well, it's location with Syracuse is probably the hardest part. It's over. And, it's and, over before it starts. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's just hard to recruit guys to there when they have other warmer options. And, you know, I like the coldest I've ever been in my life is Syracuse, New York. And I, I'm from Florida and never lived north of Knoxville, Tennessee. And if you are trying to get someone like me to come there for four years and I have a cho- a similar, similarly situated choice that's also a good school, like say, let's say Virginia or Duke or something like that, that's where I'm going. I'm not going to freeze. But Virginia and Duke are also better located to actual good players who already live there. There's no football in upstate well, New York. The, the war, the warmth also has something to do with that too. No, but, I know, yeah. but I just say, I mean, like, I think feel like Syracuse might be one of the worst jobs in the sport. It's it's very hard. It is very hard, and and look, it has a really great tradition, and, and you go back, you know, into the the fifties and sixties, and and they were amazing teams. But that was when the the sport was still very much situated in the Northeast. You remember the sport grew out of the Northeast. The sport started in you know Princeton and Rutgers. It started in New Jersey. Uh, the Ivy League was the best at it for a long time. West Point was the best at it for a long time. So that's where the sport started. But the sport has moved south, you know, ever since. And I don't know that it comes back. And so that that is what you're facing when you're Syracuse. Uh, a note on Wake Forest, though, because you're right. It's probably number thirteen. Dave Clawson has done a really, really good job there. There's, this is the, the, the smallest school by enrollment in the FBS. And it's, it's a very good academic school. It's, it's hard to get into. They, if you make a recruiting mistake at Wake Forest, they're not transferring out because they want that Wake Forest degree. So you better get it right. And I think Dave Clawson's done a fantastic job because we're never really talking about them as the bottom of, of their division. They're not at the bottom of their They're actually were really fun to watch. The man is over they 500. Have, yeah, their, their receiving core for next year is going to be fun. And 130 and so. 124 and has won three bowl games in seven years there. Yeah. I'd hire him somewhere yeah, else. Guy is working miracles, but he's also smart enough to know that he's got a good thing going because. Yeah. His AD, who's new, I mean, John Curry's new, but John Curry's worked at Wake Forest before. He knows what kind of job Dave Clawson is doing. Like, he's not going to be pressuring him. Hey, you better win some more. No, no, he knows they got a good thing. Yeah, the thing that's interesting about this list 
is that if you re-ranked them right now and just ranked them based on ceiling, it might be a different discussion. So just because we have a team ranked lower right now is based on the question of the next five years. But I would argue that some of the schools that are lower on the list have higher. I mean, Syracuse is what it is, but the, in, in the middle there, like I think between six and 12 or maybe even 13, that the ceiling of NC State and the ceiling of Virginia are probably not all that different. I think you're probably right on that. I, so it, it it's it's interesting with the ACC because it is is so obvious at the top, and then you can kind of you can make your arguments among the the ones below Clemson for who who goes where. And I think the biggest room to move on your list is NC State. I think yeah. the right situation can can vault NC State into the top three. It just depends on on what happens. So. I, you know, in Miami, that's one where the right situation, they can be solidly number two. There would be no argument. Uh, Florida State, you could make it solidly number two where there's no argument. It just depends on on who's in that chair. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. All right, we have to move on to non-football jobs <laughs> because I, I love your your panache when it comes to ranking the football jobs, but I think you could do this with, with just about any job. And so what I've got is a set of five of what U.S. News and World Report considers the best professions out there. Uh, we, I took five of their top 15 best professions, and I'm going to have you rank them one through five, best to worst. And then I've also got what Mike Rowe, the host of the Dirty Job Show, considered the five dirtiest jobs. And I'm going to have you rank them one through five, best to worst. Uh, I have intentionally left out some of the information about the dirty jobs just to make you change your list midstream. But we're going to start with what U.S. News and World Report considers some of the best jobs. I was very pleased to find out my wife has the number one job, according to U.S. News and World Report, and that is physician assistant. So congratulations to her. I noticed sports writer was not anywhere on that list. So she's the, she's the brains of the outfit. We've always known that. Five of the top 15. I'm going to give you these in no particular order, and you tell me, Ari, one through five, best to worst. You can go worse, you know, you can go five to one or one to five, however you want to do it. But you tell us what, what you'd want to do and what you'd least want to do. Orthodontist, data scientist, veterinarian, speech pathologist, statistician. Those jobs, I would rather do my job than any of those jobs. And like I wonder before we before I rank them. Are we going to talk about finances or are we just saying like, like how was well, no, no, here's the no thing. offense to your wife. So please don't take well. it. Yeah. But why would doctor not be ranked higher than, than physician well, assistant? I, Is it based I, on I like you right quality now. of life? I, yeah, I can tell you right now. Cause she works with a bunch of surgeons and she gets to go home and they don't. <laughs> yeah, that's and true. So uh, they make, they make more, but not that much more that it's worth it. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's not just about how much money you get. It's also how much quality of life you can have. And that's why, Andy, you always win uh, number one uh, in, in life. But of these positions, I, I'm going to be super offensive. I, I don't want to offend anybody. Offend away, one, Ari. That's the okay. whole point. That's the okay. reason I, I chose this little exercise. Well, what I say is going to probably make some people angry. And if my girlfriend will listen to this, she gets angry about this all the time, too. Number one awesome. would probably be orthodontist. 
just because like you'd you're want to do the orthodontist the most. You want to put your hands in kids mouths. I mean, I would. Ew. It's better than crunching stats all day and number. I hate stats and football. I can't imagine like doing. You know what's worse than stats. crunching stats? Getting your finger crunched by some kid because you pulled his wire too tight. Okay, well, listen, my my girlfriend. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I guess it's too late now. She has Invisalign right now, and her teeth oh. look amazing. I this, I did Invisalign a, last year. It's awesome. Six thousand dollars. <laughs> I don't know how much. I mean, these guys get paid, and it's not like oral surgery, right? Like they just like fit you with like the well, the gums, I, yes. and you you bite down if with it's the all impression. Invisalign, and get, yes, but it's not it's not all. No, that's not how Invisalign works. Invisalign is actually much more high tech than that. They they three D map your teeth, and then they three D print your guards. Yeah, and and then they three D print your check into the nicest neighborhood in well, the city that they live in. Listen, okay, it, okay. If, <laughs> yeah. So if orthodontist, if I'm a, a strictly Invisalign orthodontist, then I'm good. But if I have to put the braces on the kids, I want no part of that. None. I mean, I think I would rather put brace because like one, it's like probably like driving a car. Like once you're, I went to the dentist last week and it wasn't an orthodontist, but it's like once you do it, it's just you know you. I mean, I'm I I think the money there too is part of the reason. Why? And now here's where I'm going to get super offensive because I think my number two would be veterinarian. Um, I think that it's awesome that they save animals or help animals. And like I'm not much of an animal person. We have a dog, but I'm not an animal lover. And I think part of being a veterinarian is also a scam because some of the money that people spend on some of these things, there's a lot I think of emotional spending. Absolutely going on. ridiculous. And I think they take advantage of that. If your 16 year old dog has mouth cancer, it doesn't have to have chemotherapy. It's over, you know, and people are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on, on surrogaries and, treatments that would rival what you would do to yourself if you had yeah. similar circumstances if, if you are like giving it, if you're if you're giving a 14 year old dog chemotherapy that is your fault like i know but people do if that you let, all if the you time let the vet and, talk you into that that's on you but the vets but are doing it knowing trying, exactly what they're yeah, doing yeah they shouldn't be trying to talk you into that now here's my issue with the vet one so my daughter has gotten into that dr pole show all the episodes all seasons of dr pole are on disney plus now and he's a vet in central michigan and so a lot of farm country. Holy cow, does he have to deliver a lot of cows? And that's not a pretty sight. That's a lot of you wrap. You're wrapping a chain around some hooves that are sticking out of a, a cow's. You know what? And like yanking on the chain or like posting up on a fence so you can get better leverage to yank on the chain. I'm not sure I can handle that. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what my type of veterinarian is wearing a white coat at a place and a dog has a thorn in his paw. And then you get paid an enormous amount of money to have yeah, a but practice. That's, that, that still means somebody's going to bring in a lizard that's got like a gaping chest wound and you got to do something about are it. Are all veterinarians like as easily able to treat a lizard as they are a cat? I mean, I feel I like there's got to so. be I, specialty. I'm assuming cats and dogs. Yeah, cats <laughs> yeah. and dogs. And then, it, of course, like where I live, there's a lot of equine veterinarians. The, the University of Florida does has an equine track in their in their veterinary program. So, um, so there's some people who are just better at horses, but... Yeah, I, I would think cats and dogs are probably the most common. But yeah, you need to know how to treat birds, lizards. And it's it's like with humans, we we ultra specialize, but the poor vet has got to treat different species. And I, I don't know. It, it, it they make a, like lot a lot of money to, to learn. They do make a lot yeah. of money, but that's and a, the one thing that would be it's, tough, it's too, tough is, job. I guess, dealing with people who are emotional, because I know how people get attached oh. to their animals Calling and somebody whose dog's. Gonna yeah, die? yeah, yeah that would awful. suck. Yeah. And I and I. I don't want it to seem like it's insensitive. All I know is we have an eight-year-old dog who's blind, 
and we take care of her. She can't walk. We have to pick her up and take her out. And it's like when that dog's time comes, whether that's next month or in five years, we're not dropping seven thousand dollars to make sure that it has bones, uh, strong bones. When you know, it just, I just, there's a certain level of this perspective that's lost i think with animals sometimes but again so i'm not an animal lover like like the same way that all all of all of these you seem to enjoy interacting with with people or animals here so i'm assuming speech pathologist is your number three it is yes okay yeah that's what i figured see you you get you get the human (laughs) contact you don't it doesn't ari ari versus the screen is not is not the job ari wants yeah, and like a lot of the times, it's funny enough, in this job before podcasting became an element to it, it was Ari versus the screen. It just was verbally and not mathematically. Um, but, you know, I, I the idea of crunching numbers all day, and like I don't know the difference between a data scientist and a statistician. So, you know, and I also don't know the money that's involved. That's in why scenarios. you're not getting paid like one. <laughs> but have you also, have you also known, noticed that I've, and I guess this makes me vain, but I would just take the ones that are most money. But the the funny thing is, is that if this is like the price is right, I'm just ranking them in order of which ones I think get paid the most. But I, these, these 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 jobs, none of them sound particularly uh, enticing to me. Like well, I that, think that's like, the thing. As as gross as the list of of dirty jobs that I'm about to read off sounds, they sound a lot more interesting than the quote unquote good jobs. Well, so. interesting is going to be bad. So, and the next four, number four is da- data scientist. Because that seems a little bit more in, interesting than just statistician because you have to be really good at math and plug away at numbers all day. That sounds terrible. And also, you know what sounds terrible is being an accountant. And I know people that are accountants. Uh, one of my best friend's dad is uh, driving a Bentley to work, and he's an accountant. So uh, I know you can do really well with those. Um, but just like I get nervous just following my ta- following my like, straightforward taxes. I And I have like some – unique tax situations then it makes me sick to my stomach to have to deal with it like next on I, the andy staples show ari wasserman's <laughs> unique tax situations yeah it's uh that's a whole episode uh, I mean, right there like the idea of well i moved to a new state in the middle of the year how do you file your taxes and which ones are which did you put the right date on there uh what about you know there's other private things i guess that are not illegal but also very interesting that i have anxiety about and maybe you can actually help me when the show's over with because it probably applies to you too and it's just like you don't i don't want to ask me about tax situations well i know but like I'm, whether or not i need to if i can just do it on h&r block by myself and just upload my stuff and let them do it or if i have to like go get an accountant and have him look at some of the things that we have to deal with. it just it makes me i just like put it off even though most people want to do it as fast as possible to get their money i put it off because i don't want to deal with it so I cannot imagine I just sitting there doing people's taxes all day. Okay, worst all jobs right, now, Andy. So let's, let's get let's get to let's, the fun. Let's move on to the dirty jobs. This is uh, so Mike Rowe, the host of Dirty Jobs, put out a list of his five dirtiest jobs, and these are all things he did on the show: uh, snake wrangler, sewer inspector, chicken sexer, which is not what you think it is. Actually, maybe it is what you think it is: shark suit tester, horse inseminator. Okay, so are we going to go from the ones I would want to do the least first or the ones that I would so do first first? Let's let's do what you do first first. We'll go first to worst. Okay, and we'll, we'll see if there's an interesting re-ranking here. But chicken sexer would be my number yes. one on that list because it just <laughs> seems to me that it would be the easiest to handle because the animals are the smallest. And from my brief research on Wikipedia, it sounds – is there's no uh, mating involved. It's more so about organizing them based on 
This male, is the female. chicks as they come out. Now, right. does that change when I tell you that a chicken's genitals are up in the anus and you've got to clear out all the poop before you can then examine what the gender of the of the animal is? It makes the over job and sound over way and over yeah. again. <laughs> well, I hope that the people who do that also get the sense. They probably of are doing it. some other things. Yes, there's other ones on your list where you have to deal with that stuff too, and it still I think would be my my top choice. All right, what what's next? Number four would be horse inseminator, and I don't know if you have to be like actually like well well built and in, in shape for that because that sounds super difficult so apparently but, you are you are you are creating all parts of the act because with uh, when you have essentially a ton of uh heavily romanticized animal uh there's potential for injury for either one of them and they're both very valuable creatures and so you got to take care of uh the stud and take care of his lady as the inseminator so that's uh but like what do you mean like you've got to like get up in there and make sure that it doesn't get too rough like i don't like i don't I, even know no, i can't no, even no, picture no 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 you're doing it you're doing it by hand they're not getting to do it at all so what you like push on the back of the horse back and forth i yeah, yeah it, i mean i mean it, that it, sounds tricky i mean yeah i'm you're not going to change my mind it doesn't this seem this sounds like the le- first of I all i feel like it's a good way to get kicked by a horse. Yeah, I just do. be terrible. I mean, but also horses and depending on which ones you're inseminating are super valuable, like you said. And I assume that this job might be financially better than my number three, which would be and sewer. And what if the inspector. horse gets mad at you? What if the horse doesn't like you? I mean, I'm sure that there's equipment and protection. Like, I'm sure there's like a steel door in between. I'm, they're not just exposed to getting kicked from behind i hope i mean there's got to be some safety protocol it is america right like there's got to be an hr team uh a safety training class <laughs> only, only horror brings up osha when we're talking about the horse inseminator all right i got yet, rights, yet another man. Jo- <laughs> yet, yet another job where, where osha is probably heavily involved the sewer inspector you just mentioned yeah yeah i can't even imagine this sounds awful this sounds just walking around and poop awful. all day and it does. It sounds truly awful, but it seems also like the least dangerous. So, you know, you would have to wear a gas mask, I guess, and, you know, get used. To, but I don't know what like in sewer inspector means, like go into the sewer and like be within the. Yeah, the I think excrement. you have to make sure it's structurally sound. And yes, the river of excrement. Yes, you're, you're kind of walking through that. Yeah, make sure there's not you know a b- bunch of rats getting into a place where they. Oh can chew god, on this some would be truly it, yeah. awful. Yeah, no, how much it's, should these it's, guys it's make? Bad. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Not enough. Go- <laughs> not Google enough. this. Whatever it is, not enough. Yeah, I still think it's my number three. I'm, I'm trying my best to keep my rankings intact. Once you add in context of what the job is, because the last two sound awful, terrifying. Like, snake wrangler would be my fourth, but that sounds. Like the worst thing in the world. I, I feel like there's enough. Equ- yeah, I feel like there's enough equipment that you're all right. But the problem is, I'm assuming there are going to be situations where it's not like you're you're milking a, a a venomous snake that's in a cage. I'm sure that this happens too. You where you milk the venomous snake that's in a cage, so you can send it off and they can make antivenom. But there are probably also situations where you need to go help somebody because they've got a diamondback rattlesnake under their porch and. 
I, I realize there are there are chaps and there's different things you can wear, but if I got to crawl into a space and there's a rattlesnake, I don't want any part of that. I don't care. I grew up in Phoenix and I only had one encounter with a rattlesnake and I not encounter. I saw one and I jetted because it's crazy how they blend in with the, the rocks. There was nothing more disgusting to me or more fearful to me. I mean, I guess there's one more thing, and we're going to get to that, but snakes yeah. gross me out. And if I were on that show Fear Factor, and they had snakes involved, I'd be like, keep the money, man. I'm out of here. Like, I, well, I could the, deal the, with roaches and insects and maybe even spiders. Snakes, no thank you. And the other thing I wanted to say is I was listening to a podcast on the way back from the gym today, and it's funny that this was on the list, but in that podcast, it was a pretty messed up podcast, but somebody put a rattlesnake in someone's mailbox on purpose as like a revenge. Oh, no, no, no. And no, somebody no. opened the mailbox and this rattlesnake jumped out at them and bit them in the throat. And I had oh. to like pull over my car. I, and I listen to true crime murder podcasts. This one really got to me and it was just disgusting. So I, uh, oh, yeah, rattlesnakes. Like we're, we're, yeah, no where, I, where I live, it's water moccasins, water moccasins and coral snakes. Now, coral snakes are. A little bit different because they they don't have the the hinged fangs that the uh, that the pit vipers do, but like it's terrifying, absolutely. Like the 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 water moccasins and the rattlesnakes, like they just ba boom, they got you. And then now the coral snake, if they get you, that's maybe even worse because their venom is is more toxic. But no, I want no part of that. And the, the the last one, the shark suit tester. I'm with you. This is the worst possible job because okay. Shark suit tester implies that the shark suit may not work when the shark when the shark attacks you. <laughs> what I was gonna say is there'd be nothing more terrifying than swimming with the great white. Sh- I would take the snake over the shark, but also you might no- just drown. Like, what if yeah. your diving equipment fails? Is there no efficient way to test the materials of the suit than to put a human being in danger? Like, it's 2021. Like, we can't figure out. Can we just put a dummy in there? Can we use the material? Like, I don't. Why am I the test dummy? Put a dummy in it. What What are we doing? So, Ari Wasserman, shark suit tester. You heard it here first. That is that is the job that he will do for the most amount of money. <laughs> yeah. And if you're one of those You'll people that goes into water. Handsomely for that. If you're one of these people that go into water and are in the cage. And great white sharks are coming at you with their teeth hitting the cage. You're a psychopath. Like that, that people do this on vacation. I, I mean, I like the ocean a lot, and I like even going into the ocean to a limited extent. But I am a go in the pool that looks at the ocean guy, not go in the ocean because you know I the unknown is scary to me, and those things you have no shot. And Shark Week, I. It's entertaining, but it scares the living hell out of me. No, thank you. I I just love that the 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 general implication of this job even existing is that the suit will fail and you will be eaten alive. So yeah, I, I'm out on that one. Uh, I'm out on the snake wrangling. I'm I'm out on all of these. I'm I'm happy being a sports writer. Uh, th- there's some you know job insecurity issues and all that, but I'll take that over rattlesnakes and sharks. So are I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell pleasure. you before you before you. Wrap up. Okay. I just looked this up. Guess how much a shark ninja tester makes. Please let it be a lot. Please let it be like 300000 a year. Guess. 
$50,000 a year. $63,000 a year. I will be a no. bank teller. <laughs> Come no, thank on. you. No, thank you. All those jobs we mentioned earlier that we said weren't didn't sound all that exciting to us, all of those jobs pay a hell of a lot more than what, what we just said for that. Yeah, maybe you're just one of those people who likes being in the elements and finds sea life to be relaxing and calming and beautiful like keep me out of it even when it has rows and rows of razor sharp yeah. teeth rankings basically since you noted how i ranked the acc jobs um my job ranking for terrible jobs is most likely to die down to least likely to die disgusting was the second factor and being bit by a rattlesnake and being a shark suit tester you can die leave me out of it well, and, and the shark suit tester, again, two ways to die. Ripped apart by sharks, drowning. Neither one sounds great. Neither one worth 63 grand a year. Nothing. God bless you if that's your job. You have my admiration, but no shot. Never going to try it. Crazy. <laughs> All right, Ari Wasserman, we will do this again. This was fun. We will have Ari Rank's jobs. We will have And in fact, I want to start a new segment on this podcast and and I, I want you guys to help out so if you're athletic subscribers you can drop a question in either me or ari's mailbag if you're not an athletic subscriber uh you can go to find us on twitter i'm andy underscore staples he's at ari wasserman i want you guys to ask life advice of ari <laughs> the further and the deeper we can get inside that melon of his i think the better this show's gonna be Scarier so i want you be. to ask him general life advice questions uh, etiquette questions, you name it. Because I feel like Ari's going to come from a very different direction than the rest of us are. And I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. So There's something something went really wrong in my upbringing, I think. I don't know what happened. Oh, we're going to have your dad on to explain it all later. That's yeah. that's another show yeah. for the offseason. We... The, the good news is there's not a game for eight and a half months. We got plenty It will explain a lot, time. let me tell you. If he's on, it'll <laughs> explain everything. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Ari Wasserman. And we'll talk to you on Wednesday.